Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm a senior reporter at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for everyone who needs to know what's going on in the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each month I'm going to be delving a little deeper into some of the conversations being had in our community, learn more about exciting innovations and probe some of the issues we're facing. Today I'm going to be asking what more needs to be done to improve diversity in the voluntary sector. Much of the sector's work endeavours to dismantle barriers, ensure equal access to services and construct a more inclusive society. And yet the diversity of service users, their gender, race and ability, isn't fairly reflected in our charity's workforce. There's currently a wealth of extremely relevant skills, experience and authority that isn't being embraced. The lack of diversity is particularly apparent among our leaders. The Pay and Equality Survey 2018, published by Akivo, found that just 3% of charity chief executives were from a black, Asian or minority ethnic background, while only 2.25% of senior leaders were women of colour. Meanwhile, 16% of 540 chief executives surveyed had an impairment health condition or learning difference. So how might charities be stifling their own growth by not employing a more diverse workforce? What practical steps are currently being taken to ensure the third sector embraces more diversity? And is it just a case of enforcing regulations, or do we need to see a more holistic societal change in order to tackle issues like unconscious bias in recruitment? This is something we've looked into in the most recent issue of Third Sector magazine, and I'm going to meet Kima Warford, fundraising consultant and chair of the Black Fundraisers UK group at the Institute of Fundraising, and the chair of the Royal National Institute of Blind People, Eleanor Southwood, to explore some of these questions. So, Kima and Eleanor, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. Firstly, how is the charity sector losing out because it's so lacking in diversity? Why is diversity something we so desperately need to tackle? Well, from my perspective, it's the more diverse an organisation is, is the more different thoughts, different approaches, different styles of working that you get. And... It's only hurting the charity sector because we have groupthink mentality. And that's the thing that I think is a dangerous thing within the sector. Financially, it's becoming much harder for charities to secure funds to be able to do and deliver the work that they're doing. So why not have more people in there that reflect the society that they engage with? I completely agree about the, the group think risk, certainly. And in a, you know, in a world that is changing and changing rapidly, that ability to make decisions which properly reflect what's going on in the wider world is so important. And we also know that, you know, there's tons of evidence now that more diverse groups make better decisions. So in our context, that's decisions which are better for the people we're here to serve and better for those of us who we want to engage with. I think it's an issue of credibility, too. So if I'm somebody who might need support from an organisation like RNIB, might I be put off for asking for that support if I don't see an organisation that reflects my own life experience? Mm. If I'm a donor and I'm wanting to donate to an organisation and I do not see that organisation reflecting my own life experience I may not choose to donate. So I think it has an impact all round, which is why we urgently need to do something about it. Is there a level at which diversity is kind of particularly lacking, you think? 
I mean, as you say, I think the senior level is is really challenging. And that has not only an effect in terms of decision making, I think is poorer for that, but also for junior staff in an organisation who look around them and see who is being promoted, see who is at the board table, if you like, Mm -hmm. and do not see people like themselves, then fair enough, I I suspect they probably would would want to go elsewhere. So it has a huge impact, I think, on our talent management. Retention as well, I Mm. think it's certainly an important area. And if I go into a workplace personally, and I see that there's very few people that look like me, that behave like me, that engage like me, then of course I'm not going to want to stay there for very long. I'm going to be looking for other places that have a much more diverse workforce. So ultimately, I think... If you can't have a fair representation at all levels throughout the organisation and in all different departments throughout the organisation, because charities are not just about the frontline delivery, they're about back office staff, they're about you know management, they're about direction, they're about strategy, they're about finance, and all of these areas need to have diverse individuals that represent their communities. And I think... On an organisational level, I don't think I've ever heard a charity say, oh, no, we, we don't need diversity. We don't want to be diverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's what everybody's yeah, aiming for. That, yeah, funny yeah. yeah. I think everybody understands on a base level that it's a good thing. And yet we're still not necessarily seeing that change. What's stopping these aspirations from kind of becoming a reality, do you think? So, so I think there's a lot of hand-wringing about this. I think it's something that everybody feels they should and must do. But when it comes to... What does this actually practically mean for us? Mm. Which of our own assumptions, individually and collectively, does this mean we have to challenge? I think things get quite quite tough. And I think particularly given the environment for charities like ours at the moment, you know, complex regulatory environment, a complex relationship with the public, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think needs to be sort of with, you know, redrawn. I think it's hard for us to take risks sometimes. And sometimes looking at things differently, recruiting differently, being creative, that's taking a risk. And I think sometimes organisations are put off taking those risks because of the the complex landscape that, that we perhaps operate in. And I think the courage to do so is what we should be looking to inspire in, in ourselves and, and in the people around us as well, that actually sometimes this does mean taking a risk, doing things a little bit differently. And, you know, if it doesn't work, it's okay. Yeah, from my perspective, I think diversity is an extremely complex arena to look at from a charity perspective. I mean, it's the idea of looking at diversity across all of the different levels of diversity. I mean, race, gender, all of those things. It makes it extremely difficult for those organisations to put the resource behind it. And we are in a sector that has limited resources, generally speaking. If you look at the sector as a whole, there's 97% of charities that are considered small, which is under a million pounds. The very few, very large organisations, they have resources, but those resources are thinly spread. Mm-hmm. So I can vouch for that. <laughs> you have to take into account that we're constantly trying to raise money, we're constantly trying to do things in a new way, in a different way. But resources are the biggest thing that really acts as an impediment for these organisations. And I suppose the other thing for me is recognising the barriers that exist within the organisation itself. The, The ones that are seen and the ones that are unseen. And I mean, if you don't engage with your staff, you're never going to know what the problems are and why people don't want to stay with your organisation. Do you think people know what to do about diversity so so I think when I sort of said there's there's a lot of hand-wringing I think people feel almost afraid to start the conversation because they're not quite sure which 
you know, should you yeah. pick a strand and start there? Or <laughs> yeah. should you sort of look around you and see who can't I see in this room? Whose voice aren't I hearing? Do you think people really know, Kima, how to go about it? No. So uh, that stops people sometimes. It's just like... <laughs> I think it is one of the biggest barriers, actually. Diversity is a very challenging area. And when you're made up of all kind of let's say, middle-class white individuals and you want to talk about ethnic diversity, you go, who am I? Who am I as a, as a person from this background to, to talk about that, to engage yeah. with that element, with staff or with externally? That's interesting. So do you think yeah. there's a sort of legitimacy anxiety sometimes? Yeah, I think yeah. there is. I think there's a very strong element of that. But I also think it's having the desire to change something is great. Having the resources to enable you to change something is another thing. And it's combining those two elements together that will make the biggest change in the sector. And do you think on that note that I've certainly heard a lot of people within the sector say actually business is pulling ahead of us on this, the private sector is. And and do you think that's why? Is it a resource issue? Is there a culture issue? I think there is some cultural issues around it. You know, the, the level of attraction of BME community into the sector is probably the most difficult thing to tackle at the moment because you can put an advert out there and you get one or two individuals from ethnic minorities coming to apply. But when your recruitment processes don't allow those individuals to get through the process and become a staff member and help you to change as an organisation, that's where the difficulty is. I think businesses have kind of taking an advantage of the resources that they have in the sense that they have more money to plough into it, they have a very critical kind of approach to the way in which they deal with it, and that's going to help them in the long term. And probably a much sharper focus on it, particularly for you know, the large retailers, for example, for whom it's such a Mm no-brainer. Look at who your customers are. Who do you want to attract as a customer? And therefore, what sort of organisation do you need to be and very visibly be? I think maybe there's a greater sort of clarity and perhaps a greater sort of um, focus yeah impetus a great word yeah (laughs) whereas I think it absolutely should be the same for us but Mm. somehow the barriers you know many of which I think you're absolutely right to identify Mm. I think they have slowed progress and I certainly think that business corporates are pulling way ahead of us now and, and I think isn't that extraordinary for a sector which is comprised of so many amazing organisations who are here to make the world a fairer place. Yeah, I think it was one of the things that shocked me most when I came into the industry because I came from the other side of things. I came from a funder uh-huh. side okay. and now moved into the sector more regularly and more openly. And it's amazing some of the events and networking and other activities that I go to and I see hardly anybody of, of ethnic minority in these sessions. And I kind of think to myself, OK, so... What are we as a sector saying by having only one set of people in this room, in in this environment that we're working in? It's saying to people that only these people can make a difference for your community. But actually, that's not true. You know, we need to kind of show and, and be one step ahead of business to, to kind of really make a difference in our sector. We need to kind of stop talking about it and get, get moving. I wonder sometimes whether we get tangled up in our anxiety to sort of do good and do the right thing. And and perhaps not that I'm in any way suggesting that, that people who work in corporates don't have that. But I think it might be combined with more of an entrepreneurial attitude sometimes, which says, mm. OK, I've got this person in front of me. They'd be fab at this job. Let's make it work. I wonder sometimes whether for us and for public sector organisations too, we are so conscious of our duties 
and that's right, we absolutely should be, and those should be legally enforced, yeah. that sometimes we don't feel confident enough thinking for ourselves or we we slightly get ourselves tangled up in being so keen to do the right thing, we end up hmm. doing nothing at all. In the sector, we are pushed by time constraints and resources constraints. So if we take a longer time to help and support somebody from a diverse background, to learn the ropes, to, to get to the level of where we need them to be, that pulls away resources from other areas of the organisation. And I think, actually, it is about us trying to do good. It is about us trying to make sure that the world's a better place. And that's why the resources are going to go, well, do I bring this person in that will need more training, will need more support to do the right thing and to be able to be good at their job? Or do I bring in somebody that's actually really good at their job right now? They're looking at the immediacy of the need. I mean, it is something that I think there's been a lot of discussion about in the sector lately. Like like I said, it's something that we've been looking at at the third sector, but I think going to conferences, being around the sector, it seems that it's something that's increasingly gaining momentum. But do you think this is actually leading to tangible change? And, and, you know, what practical policies need to be put in place to make sure that this does become something? At the moment, I would say discussions are great because discussions are things that people are afraid to have in the first place so we need to have those discussions and they need to be open and inclusive with everybody in the sector i think the thing that needs to come out of that next is the fact that actions need to be taken because we've had this discussion before we've had these steps before so What's the next thing? What are we going to actually do? What are we going to put in writing and sign our names up to? And I think that's the thing that we need to look at and move forward to. And I guess for each organisation, perhaps those actions feel slightly different. But I mm. I think I, I would totally agree with you. We shouldn't be dismissive of the conversation itself, because I think one of the things that I've certainly learnt is, is actually how how difficult and uncomfortable this conversation can be for, for some people. So I think the conversation is important, but... The time has come to, I think, have an expectation that that's backed up with practical actions. Most importantly, because I think our credibility depends on it. I think for people we're here to support and for people who we are seeking to get to support us and the general public, their expectations of us are significantly greater in terms of diversity. What do you think about things like Akivo's diversity charter that they've put out recently? Is that is that something you think is going to be helpful? I think it's good. I think if the sign-up is there, if the industry wants it enough and they sign up to it, then yeah, I think it'll be great because it's one of the steps that are needed to move forward and rather than continue having these conversations. I, I agree. <laughs> I think the brighter the light that we can shine on this, the better. I also think one thing I would really love is to see many more sort of people being able to talk about what they have done both that did work and didn't work because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think sometimes you think oh I don't you know will it will it work well maybe not maybe it will and I think the concrete experiences of of the people around us and in similar organizations will be immensely valuable yeah. you know because often we don't want to talk about the things we tried and didn't work or the things <laughs> that actually you know or maybe we discovered the people around us weren't as keen on it as we thought they were yeah. and we had to backtrack so there's lots of experiences I know that people have in the sector and I, I would absolutely love for us to be able to move the conversation into I did this and it worked I didn't do this and it was excruciating and I had, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts yeah. of things yeah. about this that we have to you know I, I guess at RNIB as well we one of, one of the things I'm very conscious of we're, we're very aware of our employment of and leadership by blind and partially sighted people 
But of course, being blind or partially sighted is but one element. You know, <laughs> I'm also a woman. And our representation of blind and partially sighted people from BME communities is very, very low at the moment. Intersectionality is important too. One of the things that you, you said that was really good was the sharing. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we haven't necessarily done enough of. I mean, learning from other people's best practice, we do that across the, the industry as it, as it stands now, in projects, in activities, in, in the way in which we evaluate stuff. We do that a lot. So why are we not doing it in terms of diversity and the approaches that have worked or have not worked? Yeah, because some of it's quite tough, isn't it? Because there's some really positive things that you have to do, but there are also some things, and I'm thinking particularly in the context of a board, perhaps more so than, than executive, but... To make room for diversity, sometimes you need to move other people on. You know, you can't <laughs> yes. just keep bringing people in. It just doesn't work like that. And so there is a, you know, and that's a hard thing for a yeah, board. Yeah. It's a really hard thing. So I think having those conversations about how that feels and how you how you get your board around that or your executive yeah. team around that would be really great. And I think it was the chief executive of the Association of Char- Charitable Foundations was saying recently that it's about having that conversation and maybe saying to people, I know you're an older white guy on our board. <laughs> Would you perhaps like to advise us in another capacity or perhaps you have something to offer over here as a kind of way of having that conversation in a way that's kind of friendly and supportive and, and not about excluding the kind of pale male stale people? Well, the sector's about sharing. Mm. So why is it that we are not looking at actually the experience and skills of these individuals and collectively sharing those skills Mm. um, across the board to help all organisations be better and do better. And also sharing experiences of specifically recruiting, you know, in, Mm. in a sort of diverse, more diverse pool, if you like. So how do we feel about specifying what we want now clearly there are legal restrictions around that and rightly so but are there times when specifying a certain sort of experience is helpful Mm. are there times when going to a specialist recruitment firm who you know might have a greater reach into a specific community when is that appropriate i think these things would be great to to just hear what people have tried yeah i think there's also a thing about looking at recruitment in terms of potential as well And that's one thing that I don't see a lot of kind of um, organisations in the sector looking at Mm. in terms of the long term approach. It's like, what do we need now? This is what we're going to get. Rather than going, actually, what do we need? And could this be something that's done over a longer period of time in terms of development, in terms of skill enhancement? And actually, those people tend to stay longer in your organisation and do more work for you because you've given them the opportunity. So, yeah, it's definitely something that they need to look at. Yeah, nurturing, I think, and and valuing people and and doing that really clearly. But also that planning is really important. So we are currently recruiting new trustees Mm -hmm. and I am absolutely committed to us being a more diverse organisation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how it will fall out yet, but I also am very conscious that you can't just say... I want us to be a more diverse organisation and hey presto, people will come. I I also recognise that and therefore part of I think the challenge to us as leaders in different organisations is to do the 18 months, three years planning. Who can we bring on in a different capacity if we haven't got board space at the moment or you know a space in the department? How can we talent spot in a really proactive way? 
But that's not just about externally. It's also about internally yeah. as an organisation. We need to be better at spotting the talent that we already have and the diversity that we already have internally and looking at how can we develop those individuals into the roles where there are no senior leaders of that nature. That's definitely something that all charities can do better. Yeah, and I mean, that that was something that I was looking to ask you about. Like, it's all well and good having kind of policies in place, but is there a more holistic work that can be done on office culture issues that need to be rethought too? And, and you know, and is unconscious bias playing a part there in, in somebody not necessarily getting that promotion or, yeah. you know, somebody's experience or lack of weighing more heavily than it would for somebody else, perhaps? One of the things I would say is that as an, as an industry, we often tend to do a range of things that don't necessarily allow us to take time to look at what's happening internally as an organisation. And I think if you can just take a few steps back and go, actually, so what is our environment currently internally and how could that be improved to allow more individuals of ethnic minorities to to come into our organisation and to feel comfortable and not have to go, oh, who's that new person coming into our organisation? Who's Mm -hmm. that... Is that person there that I've, I've never seen that person before? And you're having these conversations and it makes people feel uncomfortable. So how can we change those little things that make a big difference to people coming in? I mean, inclusive environments are, are great for us all. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they benefit, you know, like you say, the, the newcomer who's walking <laughs> in and may not look like everyone who's already sat at their desk. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you make that a comfortable experience? But how do you also make that experience one that it's not just up to them to kind of handle and, yeah. and, and be part of, that actually it's a shared responsibility? I wonder how, how good we are at challenging unconscious bias in our organizations and the reason I say that I think is because we're all organizations built on you know the amazing work and support of people who are here because they want to do a good thing and the right thing Mm. I wonder whether that makes us hesitant sometimes to and I know it's a similar conversation to that around sort of performance management within our within our sector too Mm. whether sometimes that feels a lot more challenging to call out some of that conscious sometimes bias and sometimes unconscious bias and behaviours that just are not helpful in terms of an inclusive environment. I wonder whether we feel more squeamish about that collectively than perhaps a corporate might. I, I don't know, Gen, you know, don't know the answer, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes I wonder whether a little like performance management, we, we feel slightly we feel slightly squeamish about it sometimes. And it's something you've touched on a couple of times, actually, Eleanor, about intersectionality and kind of these different strands of diversity. How do we ensure that our commitment to diversity is intersectional and not just focusing on one particular issue such as race or gender? That is really hard, isn't it? It, <laughs> it kind of feels like we're, we're all already at diversity sort of 101 and that feels yeah. like, you know, it's not... But that doesn't mean we shouldn't get on the challenge and, and yeah. get on the case with it because I do think, you know, there is still a little bit of an attitude uh, not specifically within my own organization but across the sector of a a bit of a sort of box tick thing you know or we need more you know greater ethnic diversity oh great we've got a black person fantastic done (laughs) right (laughs) moving on you know and, and actually that's not good enough clearly but also I think people's experiences are really nuanced and the barriers that people experience in the workplace and in life generally are multifaceted often and often the structural barriers that have an impact on you in one part of your life actually kind of impact on you in many many different ways so I think I think it is something that whether the conversation is even kind of ready I don't know I don't know how you feel about that do you think if we you know if it feels like we're still having the conversation about how do we attract more people from x background (laughs) 
how do we deal with that? How do we how do we get to that intersectionality? Because I think that is absolutely ultimately people are people yeah. with all sorts of facets to them. Yeah, I mean, ignoring the intersectionality of diversity is always going to be a mistake. Yeah, there are so many people from so many different backgrounds that have so many different things that intersect in their life. So, religion, race, you know, gender identity, all of these things are an amazing bundle of things that we need to take into account as as individuals within the sector. It needs to be open, it needs to be inclusive, it needs to to have all of these people in the right place at the right time talking about their experiences and sharing what kind of things have happened as a result of that intersectionality of, of where they sit. I think one of the things I would say to you is it needs to be kind of multi-approaches and, and multi-organisation approaches in terms of dealing with that. And again, a really inclusive conversation. So, you know, mm. I'm thinking of those middle-class white men, you know, many of whom <laughs> may have invisible disabilities. Mm. And until you have the conversation, you don't know. I think the other thing that you need to make sure is that we're open for criticism. Because if you're not open for it, you're always going to be on a defensive rather than learning from what's happening, learning from what's going on. It's such an important thing to kind of take a step back and go, actually, is that true? Is that right? Is is this what we're doing and, and can it be done better? You know, if you're not open for that criticism, then you're never going to learn, you're never going to move forward from it. And I think that is something that perhaps the sector can struggle with. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we've had like a lot of negative press in the last few years and a lot of the reaction to that with charities has, has not necessarily been to go, OK, this, we got this wrong or... But we also have to stand up for ourselves as mm, charities. Yeah. I think that's something that we don't do enough of. We get attacked left, right and centre yeah. these days, <laughs> it feels. But actually, we're still here. We're still doing some really good work. And we're learning, we're, we're developing, and we're constantly doing that. And you just have to bear with us. It's going to take time. And you use the word open, and I think that's absolutely critical because that's open about... The fantastic work that we do it's also open about the stuff that's really hard yeah. and the challenges that we have and sometimes the ways that we fall short and if we are open and willing to have that conversation and that relationship with the general public and our donors and the people we're here for then diversity should be no exception to that it always feels to me that the high expectation that people have of the sector is just such a double-edged sword that it's kind of yes. you do this amazing work but well I think that's I think that's right and I think that's probably a, a certainly more articulate way of saying I think what I was poking at earlier around the squeamishness sometimes to mm. challenge because mm. you know around performance management around diversity those things where we want to be so much better than we are yeah. and that I don't know whether it's almost a sort of collective guilt slightly about not being as good as we know we should be yeah. and aren't we all here because we want to change the world and we want social change we want to change attitudes and here we are an almost all white board <laughs> you know how do I feel about that but you, you just have to sort of call it out sharing the challenge is definitely the best possible way we can have of overcoming it we can only move forward as a sector together yeah. And ultimately, if we, we're not sharing and learning together, then we're never going to go anywhere. It's always going to come back to the same conversation. On that note of working together, what can allies be doing to support members of different groups within the sector? There's a thing that's going on at the moment with the Institute of Fundraising around the Change Collective. So putting real faces to the idea of diversity in the sector and, and not just thinking we want to change the, the nature of the sector 
but in order to change the nature of the sector people need to be seen in the sector and have a real role model to co- go into so so the change collective is happening you've got the overall approaches that we're taking the the charter so all of these things are just minor steps that we're taking along the long journey and i think building networks is always really helpful and championing the people around you so Mm -hmm. you know I think that's a responsibility of all of us and I would like to hope and think that all of us you know within our organizations would consider ourselves allies of different groups and I think you know sharing that I don't want to say responsibility makes it sound onerous but sharing that championing an ambassadorial role my role isn't just to champion women or blind women I think I have a role too in absolutely making sure that whoever I know who I think is fantastic if I'm having a conversation with someone at a conference who says oh we just can't find a new fundraising director just can't you know ah oh. and I know somebody who's amazing yeah. you know and happens to be perhaps from not the typical background then I think making those links is a really helpful way mm. to overcome some of that risk anxiety too our networks are powerful and we have a lot of them in the charity sector. We know pretty much everybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the nature of the third sector. So we should be doing that. We should be kind of promoting and pushing people towards roles that we know that they will be good at. And also it's about making sure those organisations are accepting of those individuals as well so that they're welcomed in with open arms. And I think asking questions, just kind of thinking about the meetings we all have every day in our organisations, but also when we're parts of umbrella bodies, when we're parts of conference, when we go on conference panels, Mm. is to just be really conscious about who isn't here. Yeah. And could I do something to, to help with that? You know, do I know anybody? Could I... For example, suggest that instead of me being on the panel, somebody else is and be able to kind of make that connection. And our networks are really powerful and they can be really ways of shutting doors too. On a practical note, what would be your kind of top three pointers for organisations looking to improve their diversity? So I suppose from my perspective, I would say lead from the top is one of them. It's such an important thing to have come from the top down because they're the ones that are pushing the direction of an organisation you know, the CEOs, the board of directors, these are the individuals that have the power to make the change. And if it's not led from them, then it's going to be problematic coming from the bottom up. But it's not to say that you can't do it both ways at the same time. Uh, well, that was mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I think the practical thing is to, to be really mindful about the sort of environment that we are creating, the things we do really intentionally to create the environment around us but also the things that we might be doing that we don't notice and the ways that our own unconscious bias might be impacting on things and also perhaps just to sort of take a more take a curious attitude to things so I think sometimes one of the barriers is we don't really we don't really want to ask and you yeah, know are tough questions you know will they think <laughs> I'm just asking because they are quote diverse quotes in some way you know and and actually I think if you foster that culture of curiosity then those conversations become a lot easier to have. The other thing I'd say is don't miss out on the voices that you already have within your organisation because it's really important to know what they feel like in your organisation because it gives you a starting point and that starting point is the best starting point that you can have because if your staff don't feel comfortable then how are people coming into your organisation going to feel comfortable being there? Are you optimistic about the future in terms of equality and diversity for the sector? I would say yes and no. The reason being is that we've been here before. 
We've had a lot of conversations. We've had a lot of challenges to the way in which organizations are structured, the way in which we recruit, the way in which we kind of engage with people internally and externally, and little progress has been made. However, what I do see is that people are not just looking to have the conversation now. They're looking to put in place action. So that gives me a very positive vibe about what's going on next. And I think if you can change that from conversations and action to actual change physically within the the sector then that would be great and that's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) I really agree with that and I think recognising and and being much more confident about talking about diversity right throughout our organisations as both a business imperative but a social imperative too not because we have to make a business case for it I think we're hopefully beyond the days of having to make a case for diversity (laughs) Um, but that actually we weave it into our business as usual and Mm. the ways that we recruit and develop talent in the same way that you would for all the amazing kind of expertise and and skills that we need in our organisations and maybe we need to be a little bit robust with ourselves and one another about Mm. what we're doing or not doing but I do think and hope that we've reached that tipping point and to be honest I think I don't think we have an option because I do think it comes back to our credibility and if we don't do it I think we'll suffer for it and rightly so. Well, thank you both, Eleanor Southwood and Kima Warford, for coming in to join us. Thank you. Um, thank you. It's, thank been, you. it's been a uh, pleasure. Yeah, it's yes, been a really it interesting discussion and plenty <laughs> to think about there. I'll be back with another episode next month, so make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. And in the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the latest news and views from the sector at thirdsector.co.uk and in the latest edition of our magazine, Out Now. Thank you again to Kima Walford and Eleanor Southford for joining me, to the producer, Anushka Tate, for Rethink Audio, and thank you for listening. <laughs>